Shalom, and thank you for listening to our podcast. I'm Shmuley Yanklowitz, the President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. At VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning, bringing cutting-edge ideas and innovative and pluralistic Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion, but we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider making a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and the world. Please visit www.valleybaitmidrash.org. Thank you so much, and enjoy the program. So the truth the truth is that I I I, um, I wanted to broaden the subject a little bit. So it's not just about violence and values. We it, it, we will it will figure in the discussion. Um, and um, when I and actually when when I'm talking about violence and values, I'm talking about in sort of in the theory of what Zionism is about. We'll 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 get we'll get to that. Uh, but the the issue that I want to raise is a much I think more central issue to our lives uh, because it seems to me that most of us value Israel. Uh, it plays a very large role in Jewish life and in, in the personal life of, of, of many Jews um, as well. Um, and we face some really serious dilemmas. A few years ago, there was a study that was done that indicated that 53% of uh, young Jews I forget the, the age of what young Jews are. I, I know that I'm not a young Jew. Uh, felt that it wouldn't be tragic if Israel were to cease to exist. Um, I mean, so, and that's, that's pretty good. There's pretty good evidence for that, uh, in spite of all what the others have to say. Um, I would, and I would venture to say, in addition to this, even the Jews who are involved and care about Israel um, are totally illiterate when it comes to Zionism. Um, I don't know what it means to be a Zionist in America today, because most people think that being pro-Israel is being a Zionist. That's not what it is. And last time I looked, Zionism was an ideology, and it had something uh, to say, it was supposed to move you to some idea, to some relationship, maybe even move you to Israel itself. It's the glue that keeps us attached to Israel. What I worry about, by the way, is this generation, our generation, we're not going to be unstuck because of our historical experience, because of what we saw, what we, experienced, what we, what we witnessed, those of us who are old enough to remember what, uh, the 40s, the 50s, but, and even those of us who are old enough to remember the 60s and 70s. So we're not going to be unstuck. But this next generation, what's going to keep them attached in any way? Why? Let's look at simple questions, not even a, you know, about uh, Israel's survival or not. Why would they continue to give large sums of money and maintain their relationship to something so remote that doesn't necessarily affect or, for that matter, add anything to their lives except Soros from their perspective? So Zionism is about the meaning that Israel brings to us in our lives as Jews. It's supposed to be transformative. 
It was created to change the nature of what it means to be a Jew in the modern world. It was an answer, a response to, to, to modernity. So um, um, that, 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 that's a problem, in addition to which. I mean, I'm, I'm laying out these problems. I don't know whether, I don't want to make you all pessimists. Believe me, that's not the point. But in addition, we also know that there's a dwindling sense of the collective among young Jews. It's not just that they were literate as far as Zionism is concerned and that, that Israel doesn't provide any sort of positive meaning to, to who they are, but they're less convinced and sanguine and enthusiastic about the idea that they belong to the Jewish people. They're Americans. What do they need to belong to the Jewish people for? And we came to America, that is, the Jews who came to America and at, at the in the last century, they didn't come here to be Jewish. They came here to become Americans. We became very good Americans. That's one of the problems we have now with what's, with what's going on. Um, and um, they, que- they question the value of, of fighting and struggling for the survival of the Jewish people, per se. Why is that a value? There are other people, there are peoples who are less in other words, there are peoples who are really needy in the world, who need our help. They're suffering. Their very existence is in question. The Jews are doing pretty well. You know, so they want to be committed to larger issues, larger issues. They're committed to prophetic justice. In fact, they might even say to you, if they have some chutzpah, you taught us. You taught us about, you know, the to be devoted to these values. Those are Jewish values. Instead, you're devoted to Jews. We're devoted, you like Jews. We're devoted to Jewish values. So we we have a real goal. You just have a survival goal. And, And this is something that I sort of come to. I mean, there is an ideology behind this. It's called... It's called John Leninism. I just, I just sort of developed that term. Um, and uh, because the younger generation, the younger generation believes, believes in imagine. And, and it sees particularism as being destructive of the one redemptive vision that was brought to them as something that they could dream about and that unites them with everybody else in the world. And we want to separate them. Now, you know, this, this issue has been, you know, been brewing for a long time. It was sort of... And, and what I, I, saw it, I saw it break just last year in a very uh, graphic way. Uh, and that is that a, 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 group, a, a group of young Jews who are fed up with the occupation... Um, and who felt that they could no longer be involved in a project that's unjust and then face their colleagues and their friends uh, in the struggle for justice in the world itself. And therefore, they wanted to save Judaism for the Jews away from the barbarians who are ruining Judaism. So they created a group called If Not Now. Now, you might note the irony of If Not Now, because If Not Now is the you know the thir- the, the third part of a triple 
saying, which is, if I'm only for myself, then what am I? And if I'm, what was it? I mean, I need me. Uh, no, if I'm, if I'm not for myself, then who will be? If I'm not for myself, then what am I? And if, if not now, when? So they chose that last part, if not now. If not now, as their, as their calling card. But if not now, has made a commitment to justice over, over the survival of Israel. I asked the founders, can they say to their members, their, or their people they're organizing, that we're struggling against the occupation because we care about the survival of Israel? I like that. I think we should all be struggling against the occupation because we want Israel to survive. That's a good thing. Um, and, and there are, you know, there are many people who, who will take up that cause. They, no, we can't say that. Because there are many people who are involved in their work who don't care about the survival of Israel as a value. Actually, I, when I, I, I spent a couple of hours speaking to one of the people who was the prime organizer. And I, um, and I, I was in New York and I, I, I spent showers with my kids, so I was walking to Shul with my daughter, and, and Shuli knows a lot of the people in, in, these, uh, in, in, you know, in the social justice world. Um, so I said, tell me, Shuli, do you know anything about young... I mean, I, I don't want to sound so naive. I, I live on a campus. But do you know anything about young Jews who want to divorce from Israel? Because that's, that's what it felt like. It feels like we now have Jews who want a divorce from Israel. So um, I, I, I'm worried. I'm very worried. That, that really sort of set me on edge uh, because I hadn't, um, I mean, I hadn't, I hadn't faced it in those terms. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to rant about other organizations, but, but uh, all right, I won't say anything. But, but I did, I have a friend, a friend who's, uh, who's, who's a uh, graduate researcher at, uh, at Oxford who just published a book whose book is coming out about, it's, it's a book about the ideology of the, of the settlers. Um, so on Yom Kippur, she was asked in her shul in London to lead a discussion group with some young, young Jews. Um, and what she said is as follows. I mean, she wrote an article about it because it was so upsetting to her. Moreover, when I asked them pointedly if it would alter their Jewish identity if the state of Israel was wiped off the map tomorrow, I was met, met with, so I just want to see, read to you corroboration, in London, with shrug, I, it was met, I was met with shrugged shoulders, shrugged shoulders, and then more adamant statements that Israel was not relevant to their understanding or expression of Judaism. While I was impressed that they do not idolize Israel or the Holocaust, and that aloof teenagers would willingly admit to finding rich meaning in Jewish textual study, prayer, which they did, celebrating the holidays, performing rituals, and taking part in Tikkun Olam, all acts and values at the core of our tradition, it was certainly food for thought during the fast, Yom Kippur, that Israel no longer has any place at all in these teenagers' minds or hearts. She writes, The day of reckoning is here, liberal Zionists. We have been judged and we have been found wanting by the next generation. While we may pray that the policies of the Israel government will change, that the Palestinians will put violence aside, that a peace accord is on the horizon, it will not change whether the contemporary generation cares about Israel. We have to find new ways to verbalize what Israel means to the next generation, 
to repair our inability to have an open, honest, and real conversation about the ideas and values, value of the State of Israel that resonates with teenagers who have grown up in a multicultural world without borders, who take the safety of the Jews in the diaspora as an article of faith, who have seen only the cycle of violence in Israel-Palestine, and who don't feel that there is anything special or desirable about the world's one state for the Jews. All right. So what do we do? I don't see anybody smiling. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, so in many ways, I don't, know, I don't know if you're angry with me. If you are, tell me that. Uh, you can tell me what, you know, if you have a question. No. Um, I, 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 I want... Uh, does, does anybody have any? Do you have any questions? At, at this? Yes, go ahead. Well, I noticed that the emphasis that we've been bringing to the discussion has been young people. And I'm not that really concerned about young people because I don't think they know what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> so I think, you know, I didn't get involved in, in things supporting Israel until I was in my late 40s and early 50s. I think, you know, they have a very naive view of the world and their <coughs> alleged comfort with their security. They'd probably be the first ones begging to get into Israel when things start getting rough in, in Europe. When all of a sudden they're going to find out why they need to be in Israel. So I'm not really that concerned about high school kids or even college kids because they don't really have a lot of life experiences. I think as they get older and form families and start looking for a way to raise their children, I think their attitudes are going to change. For what it's worth. Mm. I mean, I, you know, I, 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 um, I, I can't, you know, I can't tell you that I know for sure that, there, that there's something that you ought to be worried about um, but, you know, I, 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 I would, you know, I, I would just, let me ask you this. Are you worried about the fact that uh, young Jews are not Jewishly involved um, as to how that, how that might develop as they get older in terms of their relationship with the Jewish community, that they have little Jewish knowledge, much less Jewish knowledge than, than the prior generation? Well, you know, I mean, they're not joining. We know. We, we already see this. They don't join with. They, they don't join. They don't join federation. They don't give to federation. And when, we're not talking about college students. We're talking about now young adults. They're not. You know, they don't feel comfortable joining any organizations. They don't join synagogues. Um, I mean, there's lots of stuff that's happening that's not so good here. If anything, by the way, I could make a case for you that Jewish life in Israel is richer than Jewish life in the United States. I would, I would make that case. I mean, actually, I'm actually one of the people who believes that. And, and that's one of, another reason. I mean, I want to keep Israel alive because Judaism is alive in Israel in a very, in a very interesting way. But, all right, to be continuous, I'm sorry. Let's go around. A moment ago, you, you were correlating Jewish knowledge with Jewish involvement. And I don't know that they correlate. In the previous, I don't know that young people today actually know less because the previous True. But they were, but they were, you know, they were ethnically. They had an experience. And they had a, and they had, you know, they were children of immigrants, or maybe grandchildren of immigrants, and they had a, they had a kind of ethnic.
right? But but what do you do with with a group that doesn't have that ethnic loo? Yeah. That's the so no so you rely so you need knowledge then you do need something value that it's not just a matter of knowledge it's the question that Judaism adds value to my life not just practical value it gives meaning to my life and that's why I want to attach myself to it and it's not merely enough that I've had this rich experience and family and so on that 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 that, I, that I'm immersed in I'm not immersed that's that's a problem yes. Correct. The previous generation, the main selling point of Israel was the Holocaust. I can tell you, my kids, and even though I have quite a background in that, Holocaust is not relevant for them. Exactly. The second point I would say, 90% of American Jewry is not modern orthodox and certainly not Haredi. When we see time and again conservative and reformed Judaism being marginalized and disrespected, Israel has to come to grips that they're not representing world Jewry. Okay, so so I, let, let, let me excuse me. Let me say something about the 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 po- first point you made. Um, excuse me, and that is that that by and large, um, the younger to the younger generation, the, the, the you know the, the if there, I mean, there clearly is some a, a lot of knowledge of the Holocaust. We've we've made that. A presence in their life, but it's not relevant as a determinant and a motivator for being Jewish, let alone for connection to Israel. It's not part of their experience. And on top of that, when we, we made, we, we've made some mistakes because when young people, say on campus, bring up the Holocaust, then other groups laugh at them. They say, we know that you, you know, if they're, if they're nice, Right. Usually, they're not usually that nice. But if they're nice, they'll say, we know that you suffered. But that's not what we're talking about. Look at, a, look at the situation now. Look at where you are at, and look at where we're at. What are you telling me? Now there, by the way, what I would say is that we've not succeeded in teaching a generation, or for that matter, it's, it's Jews and the world, that you can be successful and vulnerable simultaneously. Now, Part of the reason we haven't been succeeded in doing that is we haven't wanted to overtly accept the fact and speak about the fact that we've been successful. Because maybe it's, uh, you know, I and horror. I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, I live in Los Angeles. I, I couldn't believe that I lived 40 years in Los Angeles. No one, no one ever wants to say that, wanted, now I mean now, wanted to say when, uh, years ago that Jews have, 
have an inordinate influence in Hollywood. I mean, kind of a joke. I mean, you live there. You know the reality. It's true. You, and if you don't talk about it, it's not healthy. So how do you, and, and then, since you don't talk about that, then most probably it's hard for you to claim to be vulnerable because you haven't admitted that you, have, that you have success. So no one's going to believe you. So you think that's who you are, a vulnerable population? What are you talking about? All right, I want to tell you, I know that we're successful, but at the same time, I have, the, I have memories. I see Iran. I know that there's anti-Semitism. It's something that doesn't leave you. Understand that. You know that from your own experience of what hatred does, does to people. But we're, you, know, you know that, that Jews, one of the reasons for the motivation for this, if not now, is they've been isolated from the social justice movements of the general population because they're Jews. Jews don't belong in social justice movements. You think all this tikkun olam is meaningful? It doesn't measure uh, in the world where people are working to change the American cities. Jews have no entree in that world today with all the work that we've done in our synagogues because we haven't, we've lost our credibility as a group that has something to say about what it means to be uh, a minority and suffering in America. Now, I think maybe we have an opportunity today to regain some standing because of the, the general situation and what's, what's Why? happened. Why is that? Why do you think we have an opportunity? What, what, that, that they've lost their credibility? Yeah. Well, because, well, among other things, we just have, we, 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 haven't, we haven't been there. In other words, we, we haven't been part of, a, of the coalition with, uh, on the street with people working with them for a long time. Uh, and we're seen as white, we're, we, we've self-identified as white, and we're, and, and we're not only middle class, we're, we're powerful. We're powerful. And that's the, that's, that's the general perception and the understanding. That's what, uh, you know, on, on campus, on campus a general word is privilege. That's what you hear all the time now, Privilege. You don't think it's because we're seen as oppressors because of the occupation. You're saying it's an American phenomenon. Yes. You're saying it's both. No, no, no. I think that the, I actually think that the, that the, that the minority, um, uh, uh, you know, the minorities joining the bandwagon of the Palestinians is a displacement of anti-Jewish feelings here in America. That is, they don't know anything. What do you think they care about Palestinians? Think, you think that, that, that LGBT, that gay students care about Arab countries where gays are, can be executed, they, they ally themselves with the Palestinians because they're, they're a minority here and they see themselves as vulnerable. And even though Jews are champions, champions, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The Jews are, oppre- the Jews ident- are identified as white oppressors. I mean, we've, we, we, we've lost that. And, and, and that was something very valuable to us in terms of our own, of how we understand ourselves. You know, maybe we lost it because, you know, frankly, given the opportunity, we, uh, as someone would say to me, someone would say this, Chaim, what are you talking about? We struggled all our history to get accepted. They, they accepted us. They love us. We're here. We've arrived. What do you want to be? A minority? Look what, look what that brought us in Jewish Or the Glicken, it brought us in Jewish history. You know, so finally, so you know that's 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 a, a, I guess that's a a measure, uh, a wager that some people have made. 
I'm sorry, more, there were more hands. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, uh, over 40 years. When did you start to see a change? Because, you know, we all uh, uh, raised our kids and our kids have gone to uh -huh. Israel. Uh, and they don't seem to have the same passion for Israel that their parents do. Yeah. Right. So, so, you know, there are a number of things that, 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 that mark um, uh, objective change. But I, I'll tell you, and, and, and maybe they actually measure up with my experience. I date, in terms of my, my personal actually date, dating precisely when I saw things turn on campus was after the war in Lebanon in 1982. It also happens to be that the war in Lebanon was the first non-survival war in Is that Israel fought. I mean, more or less. Let's, let's grant that. That, they, that, the is that the IDF was founded as the Israel Defense Forces. And the war in Lebanon was specifically a war to wipe out the PLO. It wasn't a war for survival of Israel. And, and, and that's, how it was, that's how it was executed. And it wound up with Begin resigning because it wasn't what Begin thought. I, I assume Begin thought he was fighting a defensive. I don't know. I don't know what they told him and what, it, why he, what, what had happened. But that, but that, but, but, uh, but, all right, that's my commentary. But, but I actually saw things change. I saw the co in front of my eyes the coalition that had existed on campus between Jews and other minorities crumble in the wake of the war in Lebanon. Literally, I, I saw it because it so happened that Menachem Begin visited Los Angeles and because it was a federation, I think it was a general assembly. Uh, was it Begin or was it, um, yeah, no, that's a, uh, yeah, yeah, and, and, yeah, right, it was Begin, right? And I saw the, the, the Latino students and the black students that had heretofore been, uh, that, well, let me put it this way, the Jews had been together with them in an election coalition, right? I saw them move away and support the Palestinians vocally and turn their back on the Jews. Just like, by the way, and a ger generation earlier, some of you may remember, that in the wake of the 1967 war, there was a break in the, on the left. And if you recall that, and you know that. So, it, so, so, so what you can tell me is that Jews have been vulnerable even before they became powerful. It's true. But, but no, but it's the same thing. Because what happened on the left in 1967 was the left said, wow, we were supporting Israel because Israel was the underdog. Now you wipe the floor with them. You know, and you're, you're just acting as an American shill in the Middle East, fighting, you know, this way. And, uh, but in those days, the, 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 liberal, the liberal left community was decidedly uh, supportive of Israel. For instance, you take Theodore Bekel, Allah Shalom. So just recently, they republished a letter that Theodore Bekel wrote to Stokely Carmichael. Anyone here remember, you remember Stokely Carmichael? Remember SNCC? I remember... So, you know, and then we became Kwame Ture. But, but, but Bekel wrote him an amazing letter. He said, we're going to continue to fight for, social, for justice for blacks because we're committed to that, but not with you, you're an anti basically because you're an anti-Semite in what you've done and how you've turned your back on us. But so there was a reaction that was supportive. That reaction, th that reaction began to dwindle as... 
as, as, as people began to think about Israel as an aggressor and not only as a defender. And, 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 and you know, whether, you, whether one accepts that or not, that's the perception. Now, it goes along, by the way, with a whole, with another problem, which I mean, I don't want, which is that the liberal world is not that enamored of nationalism. And Zionism happens to be a nationalism. I mean, nationalism doesn't, you know, Europe, Europe turned its back on nationalism. I mean, I don't know what Brexit is going to mean, but, you know, it's not so simple. I, I, by the way, I, I think there's a way to talk about this, but we need to be willing to enter the conversation. One of the ways to talk about this is the following. Well, yeah, since I'm ju- I jumped ahead, I jump ahead of myself. Is the following: Israel has a problem. One of the problem the problem it has is what does it deal with? A, uh, if I'm talking about the state of Israel. Let's put the Palestinian territories aside for a second. Right? The, uh, there's, there's a 20 percent minority that's not Jewish. Now. When I became David Hartman's student, I was going to come to this later on, all right, that what David Hartman told, said to me was, I mean, I remember the conversation I had with him. I was chasing after him because I went to yeshiva and then I was out in the rabbin and, and I, he started writing little articles and he was really, a, a, he was a maverick. I wanted to meet him. You know, and he seemed to be dealing with the issues that were really the issues. But he wouldn't answer my emails and, oh, I don't know emails, or my letters or whatever, my calls. So finally, he came to Los Angeles as a scholar in residence, and the person uh, who was sponsoring him was a friend, and I called him. I said, tell me how to get in touch with Hartman. He said, well, call him at the hotel. So I called him at the hotel, and he said, okay. He didn't know who I was. You know, he said, Seidler feller, uh, 15 minutes. You can come at 9.45. We'll have coffee till 10 o'clock. All right. So I came at 9.45. I was actually on time. And, uh, and, an hour and, a half, and an hour and a half later, he invited me to spend a year studying at the Machon. And one of the things that he said to me was that the central religious question, the essential central religious question that the Jews are confronting today. You know, here I, here I am, a yeshiva bacher, he's a yeshiva graduate, the student of Rabbi Soloveitchik. What's the central religious question that the Jews are facing today? So this is 1979. He said the central religious question the Jews are facing today is how to rule over a minority. I don't know whether we would use that language, and maybe how to govern. Right? Now, that's still a central problem. And, and what, what the reason I think that this is a very good subject for discussion is, it is the problem of Western democracy. Western democracy, liberal democracy, doesn't know how to adjust to substantial minorities. The United States does the best job of all the liberal democracies with, with, with minorities. How's France doing? No, no, think about, think about that. The, the, the home, in a way, of liberty, you know, a sense of pride. So, so this, is, this, this, this is a difficult subject. Uh, you, know, you know what country parallels Israel in terms of its minority-majority relationship? Exactly the same numbers, and including the same religious minority. What country has a similar religious minority? France. No. 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 You, uh, it's in another part of the world. India. 20% of India is Muslim. 
And, and India was formed in 1947, also after the British left. In the wake of the British leaving, they seemed to leave a mess. And a lot of people die, or died. So, in other words, so, but, but it means being willing to enter into a conversation and say, you know, we don't, I, I don't even know how to say this, we don't have the best, whatever it means, the most moral, the best. We're struggling. We're struggling to develop the best. Let's, let's, we have an, we're committed to this idea called democracy because it's the most, it's, it's the best way for countries to live. So we've, so, so we've decided, determined, hopefully, because the world doesn't seem to think that way any longer. I mean, that's why there's a rich conversation. Because it's not, I'm not convinced any longer that people think that democracy is so essential. Um, so, if we can, if we if, if we can find some common ground, there there are ways of of, of 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 seeing ourselves as part of as part of the world. That's the other thing I want to say about Zionism. Zionism was not intended to cut Jews off from the world, like these young Jews think. <clears throat> Zionism was intended to bring Jews into the world. We were cut off from the world. That was our existence. As much as we were spread around the world, we were, we were separate from everybody. We were a minority. We were the Jews. Now we have a, the, the idea of a nation state is that we, we, we act on the world stage as a, as, a, as a nation, like other nations. That's a grand vision. We lost that. I mean, I can get all excited about being a Zionist and what Israel, what Israel means or could mean. To, could mean. I, I think we think like every, everybody else thinks in tribal terms instead of thinking in, what, in, the, in the larger terms of what, of, uh, I mean, Zionism was an attempt to push us out of our prior sense of, of self that didn't, that didn't answer the modern dilemma. Yes. Take a few more. I, I do want to move on a little bit, but go ahead. I was just going to say, I think you, you, you make a good point. I think that question uh, about how to rule over a minority maybe still is the central question. And I think America, and, and I think I would go so far to say that maybe even part of this whole current election cycle, but the American concept of it is sort of like colorblindness and we're all equal and, and universalism. And you can see it in comedy. I mean, Stephen Colbert jokes about how you know, he's colorblind. He doesn't see color. He says, they tell me I'm white. I don't know because I don't see color. And, he, and it's a joke. Because it's almost so absurd um, that we don't almost even admit that there are differences. And what if, what yes. if the task of Israel could be to say, to, to know how to deal with a minority, but Excellent. to do it in a particularist way where we are Jews, we are in a Jewish country, but we recognize a minority, we respect you in a dignified way. I don't have all the answers, but I think there may be a different way to do that that is not only American kind of whitewash everything. Excellent. Sachs wrote a book called The Dignity of Difference. And to, to understand, excuse me, change to me, exactly what you're saying, that there's a dignity to, to particularism and that you, you actually, from this perspective, this was Hartman's ideology, that you need particularism to guarantee universalism. I need to know and be conscious of the fact that I only have a particular way of being. But if I don't see my particularism as the be-all and end-all, and I recognize that it's only a particularism, it means that there are other particulars. 
And if I have mine, that not only it, it makes the other particularisms understandable, but it justifies, it makes them necessary. And, we, and in order to have the whole, we need, to, we need all the particulars to thrive in that regard. I think, I think you're right. That's, that, that's a, it doesn't mean negating the self. That would be, by the way, uh, uh, you're right in, in assessing what the nature of American um, liberal democracy is. Right? It is about attempting to erase uh, ethnic differences. So what, what, what if you live in a culture where ethnic differences are important? Can you still have a democracy? That's, see, those are, those, those are good questions. I think those are questions that are at the heart of what the, 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 the project, the experiment of creating a Jewish state was all about. We've lost, we've lost that sense. We need to recover that sense. Sachs says, Jonathan Sachs says the following, that there were two stages to Zionism. The first stage to Zionism was to create a state. The second stage was to create a just society. The first stage was done. The second stage, he said, we're just beginning. I mean, you know, it's, it's another way of looking upon this. I want to read you just a story from uh, an article. When it was in the Jewish Week, New York Jewish Week. It, it was a sermon by Elliot Cosgrove at Park Avenue. So Elliot talked about the need for a new American Zionism. So in, in, in this sermon, he said the following. That, uh, he's telling a story about his, uh, this summer, my 11-year-old son asked me, without any prompting, the following. Hey, Dad. You know the Israeli national anthem, Hatikva, that line about the 2,000-year hope to be a free nation in our land? Yes, I replied. Well, he continued, how do Israeli Arabs feel when they sing it? So Cosgrove writes, it was a terrifying and gorgeous moment. My kid was doing exactly what I always hoped for, loving and defending Israel, but thinking of the other, the stranger in our midst. And because my child was doing everything right, a conflict of values was set into motion. That's also a very, very, I think, productive way of looking upon this. There's no easy resolution. It's about teaching people to live with attention. And it's the tension of human existence. We are, and we have it in a big way. We're Americans and we care about Israel. You know, so we and 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 we're 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 Jewish, and and yet we we share with American culture. I mean, it's it's not, it, it, and and it's so important. It's such an important lesson. One of the things that I I've been reading the last few days, there were a couple of excellent pieces in yesterday's New York Times, was about the fact that the emphasis in 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 um, in, in certainly universities in multiculturalism and diversity has diverted American attention or the capacity for, for, uh, for comprehending and appreciating the fact that we have, that as, as, as Americans, we share a commitment to the whole and not only to the, to the, to the group, to the group, which we've lost. That's, yes? Conversation between us and our children 
is that when we learn those values, it was in a different context. Our world was different. So we learned the values of aligning with minorities and fighting for social justice in a time when there was the civil rights movement and, and we were, in fact, endangered. Yeah, our position wasn't, wasn't as secure. Yeah. Now, they're learning the same values, but in an, an unre undeniable sense that they have privilege, they have power. Uh, and the same values look differently when you're, when, you're, when you're consuming them from the point of view that I want to help the oppressed, but I am not. I'm not one of them. I am, I am powerful. And I think that's the, that's the challenge for us is how to um, not only deal with our own power, but to... Um, Help the kid, help the kids. They're not kids. Uh, uh, help them resolve that problem and, and, and kind of be an organization that they look to or people that they look to uh, as representing them. Uh, so, they don't look at it that so, way. So, so uh, you know, I, 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 I taught a class just before at Temple Chai. I talked about um, um, inequality in American society. So I ended with a quote, now let, me, let me read the quote to you, because it's, 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 it's unusual, it certainly was unusual for me, and I, and, and I can't even tell you where I originally, where I originally found it. I mean, where I, where, I, where I came to it, because it was from the Book of Chronicles. I have to admit to you that I'm, it's not you know, the text that I always run to as a, as a source. I mean, it's a biblical book, but you know, it's kind of distant. So it's a verse at the end of Chronicles, and it reads as follows. For we are sojourners with you, mere transients like our fathers. Our days on earth are like a shadow with nothing in prospect. In other words, there is a religious conviction that we've lost that no matter how secure our lives are, we're passing through. It, 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 I don't, I'm not sure that I, you know, I'm the, that I'm the preacher who's going to be able to transmit and convince people how to integrate that idea into their lives. Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklewitz. I hope you've been enjoying and learning something new from this podcast. I certainly am. If you have a moment, please consider making a contribution at www.valleybaitmidrash.org. Thank you so much, and now back to the learning. But I think it's an essential teaching of Judaism, and it's probably an essential teaching of, of any good religion, to understand the nature of what it means to be a human being. And that what you're talking about is exactly one of the subjects that I, want to, I do want to get to eventually, is, is the, corrupting, the corrupting dimension of power. Even when, it, even and especially when it comes to a people that was powerless. Achad Ha'am, you have a quote here from Achad Ha'am. Achad Ha'am quotes Proverbs. When he, he, he went to Palestine in 1891. So what does he quote? There's a famous passage, Eved Ki Yimloch, when the slave becomes a king. So we learned that when we, be, when we victims become successful, we're not going to be like anybody else. We're going to do what's unnatural. We're going to reach out to the strangers. 
But what happens if when we, we're no longer the victims, we behave like everybody else and do that? What happens at that point? And, and then when, when the abused become, when the abused gains power, maybe they become even more vicious sometimes in their, in their abuse of others. It's a, it's, it's in, you know, what, and, and, and our unwillingness to confront that possibility. After all, it's not a natural tendency. It's not our, I would say, it's not a Jewish, it hasn't been a Jewish tendency. But there are new opportunities now in the world. I saw this, I would take one, one of the comments I want to make to you. I saw this for the first time in a class I taught at UCLA. A student brought a paper to me. Uh, I was teaching a class on Jewish experience in America. I said my friend, who's a member of the fraternity, wrote this paper. So I looked at the paper. It was really interesting. It was a report on a meeting at the fraternity. It was a Jewish fraternity. And one of the fraternity brothers got up and they were, t- I, f- I don't know, I forget exactly, I don't even know if it mentioned what the general subject was. And he just made an announcement. We're not like our parents. We're, we're going to work hard in this world, and it's ours. We worked for it. Nobody else has a right to it. And there was some, uh, and there was some insulting comment made about those who think that they deserve to be helped and something of that sort. Uh, and I, I, sort of, I, I sort of shuddered. This was a paper that was given to me in the 90s about a new generation of young Jews who have a very different sense of what it means to be, to grow up in America with, with the wherewithal and, 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 and not to feel a sense of obligation to others. That's a real dilemma, a real dilemma. And what, and what happens if you live in Israel and the others aren't so nice? Right? You, you know the definition of, uh, or the story of how a liberal becomes a conservative. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to mess it up or something like that. How, or what, or, a Republican is a Democrat who's been mugged. Yeah, uh, exactly. Conservative is a liberal who got mugged. I mean, so that, that, right? So, that, exactly, that's it. Okay, I'm sorry, there are... Can you talk about what you think of renewed Zionism? Okay, yeah, yeah, we've got to talk about that. Thank you. Thank you for bringing, thank you for bringing that up. Okay, but, but by the way, what, one el- let's start where I just, where I just sort of, um, where, where I just was. A renewed Zionism would not choose to skip over 2,000 years of Jewish history in the diaspora. In other words, this is a question. When, when the state of Israel, when, 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 uh, when Zionism was founded, it needed to create something new because Judaism didn't have the willingness to embrace history because religious Jews saw themselves as living in God's world. We were in the diaspora because it was God's will. We'll be out of the diaspora when it's God's will. Now, it, it, it's more than simply waiting for the Messiah. It's an attitude towards historical, towards agency. We have no agency. We don't take responsibility in a political way. So when the Cossacks were raping women in Kishinev during the pogrom, so Bialik writes in the poem that everyone should read, Ba'ira Hariga, in the city of slaughter, 
that the Jewish husbands were looking through the latticework as their wives were being raped. So Zionism was developed to break with the passivity of the Jewish historical tradition. That's why it was so difficult for the religious, for, for the rabbis and those who came out of the religious world to embrace Zionism. It wasn't, yes, it was, I mean, the fact that they were secular, you know, and non-believers was not a, was, didn't help. But it was their worldview that they, human beings, had the chutzpah to say they were going to determine their, their fate and take their fate into their own hands. That's something that Jews hadn't done. That's why Zionism was such a revolution. That's why it was so important. We, look, it, it, you can understand that. How, how active, was, how great were the Jews in terms of all their action uh, during the Second World War here in the United States? How, how, did, how successful were they in convincing Roosevelt to do anything? I mean, we, we live with that memory, by the way. That's what some, motivated us in Soviet Jewry, I think, and in the Civil Rights Movement. That we weren't going to stand, you know, we felt that we can take, we, we, we live with the possibility of, of taking action. So that's already in America. You imagine how it was in Europe. And, 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 and Zionism emerges, emerges on the stage. So what happened was that Zionism, in order to create, its, in order to, to generate, had to break with the past. So part of the ideology of breaking with the past was to denounce the experience and the teachings and the way of life of the past. And in creating the myth and the arc of Jewish history, the myth, I mean, when I talk about myth, a mythic story, I mean the, the narrative of our, that explains our existence. Zionist, the Zionist narrative was one that started with the Bible and skipped over 2,000 years to the beginning of the Zionist movement, which is a revival of the glory of the biblical past and a denunciation of the embarrassment of those 2,000 years where we, hang our, where we hung our heads low. Okay, so, so now, first of all, even talking about this we don't do to gain a real understanding. Zionism was a war declared against Judaism. Did anybody tell you that? It was. It was a war against Judaism. Because it needed to free itself up from Judaism in order to create this new way of being. And you have all sorts of elements in it that included even we're going to make a new Jew, and you read some of the stuff about being a new Jew. It sounds like anti-Semitism, you know, the Jewish image of the hunched over. I mean, all the, all the stuff that anti-Semites said about Jews, Zionists said about Jews. Some, some. I'm not saying everyone. But this was, that's what happens when you begin, when there's percolation and, a, and fermentation and a new idea. It becomes dicey and interesting, very interesting. I, that's why I, I, I don't, I, I think we, sh- we shouldn't be, you know, so overly sensitive, right? Because th- that's how you push through a new idea. All right, so my reaction is as follows. Okay, you needed it, and you, and by the way, there most probably wouldn't have been a state of Israel if they wouldn't have been able to make this break. Just like even though Achad Am, I love Achad Am, maybe we'll see a little bit of Achad Am in terms of how to revive this, this Zionism, right? You know, uh, the, the, if... If, if, if we would have uh, hung of all of our, whatever it is, uh, um, our uh, efforts on the back of a Chara'am, there never would have been a state of Israel. Even though cultural Zionism and values-oriented Zionism, that's, one, that's what we're talking about. But Herzl believed in the political uh, uh, development, need, the need for a political state. Thank God that that was the dom- you know, that, 
that dominated eventually, and that gave us a state. Okay, but now that we have a state, now that Ben-Gurion succeeded, we have to take a look and see what happened. One of the things that happened was a travesty. First of all, the break, we, we, we skipped 2,000 years, which meant uh, Israelis educated in a Zionist education didn't get a very positive view of what the Talmudic and rabbinic culture was all about, the creativity of those 2,000 years, and the values. Buber wrote about it already in the, in the 50s. He noticed that the values developed in a society where we were a minority. Who says that we have to chuck those values? Even though we're no longer living as a minority, if they were positive values, we should be able to, we should be able to carry them. All right, so it's, so it's not just that that, 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 that world, that world, uh, 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 that, world was, that world was rejected, but it, we, 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 need, we need to be able to recover. In many, what, let me say this, what, we, what needs to happen is that given the fact that we've now succeeded, maybe it's time for Zionism to do tshuva and return to Judaism and see itself not as a break from Judaism, but as an aspect of being Jewish. You can't be a Zionist and fulfill yourself as a Jew. You can be a Zionist as part of your Jewish identity. It doesn't exhaust your Jewish identity. Israel doesn't exhaust Jewish identity. It's an aspect of one's Jewish identity. To me, that's... and the, and, the, and the idea that, you know, I, I think, you know, there's less negation that goes on ideologically, but it's still implicit, you know, it's still there. And there is a value, to the, there's a very important discussion that, ha, that has to go on about, um, wh- you know, to what extent, to what extent contemporary Israel can embrace uh, and, 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 and be Judaized. Can, can Jewish nationalism be Judaized? That, it seems to me, was the project of the Hartman Institute, to introduce Jewish values into the contemporary state of Israel without making Israel into an orthodox state. Well, so, all right, so, but that, that's, that, that's, that's, that's one part of an answer, okay? It would mean the following. I'll give you an example of what it would mean. It would mean that we would learn, we would learn lessons, let's say, about, about power as follows. It's true that utter powerlessness was responsible for our, I mean, it's, it, uh, maybe, maybe we can say a position of utter powerlessness is immoral for the Jews. We've learned that through history. On the other hand, we also see that if power is unrestrained, it's also immoral. So it would mean that elements, let's say, from within Judaism or from within moral philosophy, it's not just have to be Judaism, would be introduced as limitations on the exercise of power. Now, some of that is in play in Israel today. I want to show you an argument about that, about how that enters into the contemporary discussion. You had it just a couple of weeks ago. You had it a couple of weeks ago with unrestrained power and, and sort of a tribal burst. It was, a, it was in all the papers in Israel. 
and there was a trial of a soldier, what did the soldier do that caused him to be brought to trial? What did he do? He shot somebody. He shot a Palestinian who was down. He was a terrorist. Right? So how do, what, what, what do you do? You know, so, so, this, this, so how do you conduct a, a, you know, a, 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 a state, a contemporary state? It's difficult. Now, one thing, by the way, you have to say, again, I'm, I'm, I'm all for being honest. You can't have a nation state and be perfect. And maybe it's the wrong conversation. There are now Israelis saying it was wrong to start you know, claiming we have the most moral army in the world. We should just act morally rather than, make, rather than sort of advertise in that way. And understand, by the way, that there, are, there may be some other countries. You know, the United States sometimes also struggles to be moral. You know, I know, I mean, I, I met Michael Walzer a couple of years ago when he was traveling around. He came to L.A., so we were talking. So he told me that the, uh, the West Point, you know, Walzer wrote the book on just and unjust wars. It says West Point now invites him every year, for the last 10 years, maybe 10, 15 years, to lecture the senior staff on just and un, on, the, on, on the morality of warfare. So that, that's what it means, that the morality of warfare is not a question, it's a principle, it's a commitment. It's something that's integral to Israel's existence. Isn't the important thing that they have the trial? You're going to have individuals yes. mistakes and do things. It's correct, correct. The but issue is that Israel had the trial. Yes, but... but True, true. All right, but 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 under, but you have to see what what's also going on. People who are reporting these things are under great pressure. Uh, there is a, a there was a backlash which included the political elite. Thank God, you know you know why there was a trial, because the military insisted, but the pol- pol- politicians, the leading politicians, were opposed. That's a problem. That's a pro- there's a problem. Right? I mean, I, 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 usually, I mean, in, in some ways you always look, you know, sometimes you look to the, 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 the lay people are supposed, are supposed to restrain the military or act as a counterforce to the military. In Israel, you know, and, 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 the, and the assistant uh, chief of staff f- faced a load of, crit- of criticism because of what he said on Yom HaShoah. You know, and, 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 and so, and, and, and the, the, in other words, there's, there's a growing sense of discomfort rather than an embrace of the fact that we need to emphasize these values. There is more and more conversation that said that, that you hear today that these values are foreign to us. Now, I want to, now where do they, or, 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 or are problematic, are problematic, problematic. All right, so let's turn in our booklet. Let's see, I mean, you know, we're talking, talking, talking. Let's see where some of this comes from. And what I, what I, let me answer the question. I want to tell what do we, and, and I'll try to hit these points. We only have 20 minutes. All right, so let me say a couple. Let me, let me give a, f- a few just uh, headlines, and then we'll see some text. Number one, I think that, number one, that in order to renew Zionism, we have to make peace with the exilic experience, A, and understand that exile, that being a gare, is, a na- is 
as much a natural way of being in the world as, as it is being, being uh, we'll say, having a homeland. And that the Jewish response is to be a ger and a toshav simultaneously, a stranger and a citizen simultaneously. And that's a very interesting way of being in the world. And that's not only good for Jews, it's something that, that li- if we live this, it's something that it seems to me would be healthy all over the world. By the way, if it's good, one of, my, one of the things, one of the criteria ought to be that if it's good for, if it's good for Zionism, it could also be good for others. And maybe it should be good for others. In other words, it should have some universal significance at the same time as a value. All right? So the, this sense that ex, you, we can't simply jettison exile. Um, you, you have a, a, pay, a couple pages here by, by George Steiner. He's not a Zionist. But George Steiner makes the point, how did we survive for 2,000 years? How did we survive without, without sovereignty for 2,000 years? How did we survive without sovereignty? So there are, a number, there are numbers of answers. So, and it's not, by the way, we know enough and we're smart enough to say, it's not because we were the chosen people and God made sure that we survived. You know how we survived? Because our homeland became the text. We, 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 took, we took the book under our arms. And wherever we went, we said, uh, there, there were, we were home. We were home in the word. Now the word and the land are in tension with one another. Intellectuals and farmers are in tension with one another. The Amharits and the, and the, and the intellectual. So the, the, Ben-Gurion was a farmer. What happened every Saturday night in his house? There was a shear. On Tanakh. Do you know this? Do you know this? Ben-Gurion had a, 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 all his life as prime minister in the prime minister's house. There was every Saturday night, professors from the Hebrew University, other intellectuals, and, and some political figures came to learn Tanakh, Bible in Ben-Gurion's house. And we have the proceedings. Right? So that, that's, it, and it wasn't that one triumphed over the other. They lived with one another, and there was something that each one could bring to the other. Right? So Steiner, I bring Steiner in the conversation, even though he's not a Zionist, maybe even an anti-Zionist at some point, because I want to bring that into my understanding of who I am. I have to hear that, that the word is something that we survive with. It enriches us. We can't, we, can we have a nation without the word, given who we are as a people? Even though the word is sometimes the enemy of the nation, because it raises all sorts of questions. That challenge. The word is its own. The word is its own. Um, how, how should I say that? It, 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 its own empire. The word is its own empire. Very different from the empire of power. Okay, so that's so that's one thing that we need. That we need. Um, the, another element. I'm going to get to the issue of power, but another element about which we're not going to have time to talk is that. Uh, and, uh, and, and this really is a lesson for the religious community. If for the secular community, Zionism has to come home to Judaism, for the religious community, Zionism means bringing the Jews back into history. And, is, and from that perspective, Israel is a normal country. And that means that it's not a messianic fulfillment. It has its ups and downs in the way in which normal cause and effect uh, operate in the world. 
And it's a recognition that any attribution of messianism or messianic fulfillment and redemption to the state of Israel is dangerous. Because it's a politicization of, a, of an ultimate religious idea. It's exactly what you don't want to do. Because throughout history, any time messianism has been touched by politics in some way, it was, it was catastrophic. Or it, was, it, 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 ended, it didn't end well. All right. So, so we, we, I mean, so we, we want we want to celebrate the normalcy of what it means to have a state, and at the same time, and this is, and at the same time, maintain a degree of specialness about it, because we're not just going to have we're going to have a state that's going to operate on the realm of history, but we're, we're going to bring values to bear from the Jewish tradition on this state, or values to bear from the culture of values in order to try to make this into an excellent state and not merely settle for another state like everybody else has. All right, now I want you to see that discussion. Okay, so turn in your sheets in your, to page, page four, page four. So if I can, if I can tell you, if I, let, me, let me say the following. What I mean when I say an end to the mess, messianism, the positive value and the response to the second question you raised, and this is also what Hartman told me, is that in the state of Israel, there's a chance for religion to be normalized. The Zionists were wrong in thinking that they would end anti-Semitism. But maybe religion can become something that the whole people affirm in, its non, in a non-institutional way. And remind me if I forget, and we still have some time, I want to come to say, tell you how this is happening in Israel today, beginning to happen in a very, in a very interesting way. Because at the same time that we have these atrocious behavior at the wall and all that stuff, there's some fascinatingly creative and wonderful energy going and bringing about uh, what I consider to be a Zionist expression of, of, of the normalization of, of Judaism in that regard. Okay, so first, the issue of power. The power, 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 is a major, power is a major question. I mean, you know, the, it, it's, in some ways, it's the question here. You know, I, 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 I was going to end with this, but, but uh, Nachum Goldman in, 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 in the 70s, said the following, for 2,000 years we Jews have lived without power, and without power we formed the noblest visions and highest ideals. Now we have power. So the question, the question of course is, did we have noble ideals only because we didn't have power? And that's why we were, you know, we talked a great game. You know, the, right? right? In Israel we have a flag, an army, an air force, and an intelligence apparatus, the envy of every nation in the region. And in America we have wealth and status and political influence. This was in the 70s, Goldman said that. You know who Goldman was. Goldman was the one who negotiated the reparations with, with the German government. He was the head of the World Zionist Organization, the World Jewish Congress. He was the, he was the foreign minister of the Jewish people for about after the war. And he had a competitive relationship with Ben-Gurion. All right. I mean, he was a, a man of, of, of self, self, self-worth. <laughs> I mean, meaning he saw himself as being very important. Yes, yes, we have power but we have not yet learned to use that power in the service of our ideals. So it is that the Jewish people has never been more threatened than it is today. For what is threatened is the ethical core of our being, the ethos of the Jewish people. So that's, that's Goldman. Now, this battle over power is an essential battle to Zionism because 
Jabotinsky had a view of the world that said, if Jews don't embrace power, then we're just going to relegate ourselves to our history, the, uh, our previous history. So now we have an opportunity, and we need, to, we need to take advantage of this opportunity and exploit it. So look, look what he says. Maybe you'll read for me. I'm sorry, I, don't, I forget your name, my friend. What, what is your name? Erwin. Erwin, why don't you read? Sometimes... All right? Sometimes, right? So that's, that's, by the way, that's what we were taught. We were taught that, I don't know, Pesach we say, we were strangers, right? Everybody knows this now, that it says, you know, to remember the exit from Egypt, that's who we are. We remember, we remember the stranger, we remember the other, right? Uh, that's possible, right? So, but, but, but what does he say? But. Yeah, Continue. Yes. Contemporary morality has no place for such childish humanism. So, so here's Jabotinsky, who's a great patriot, who loves the Jewish people. And by the way, he's not someone who doesn't respect the Bible. Believe me, people don't know, Jabotinsky was a man of letters. He was a liberal. He was a European liberal. He had an image that the, you know, that the, that the, uh, the, the pre- prime minister would be Jewish and the assistant prime minister would be an Arab. I mean, I don't know what he would say today. But he had a, he had a, it wasn't that he wanted to kill the Arabs. He wanted the Jews to survive. Thank God, you know, some, my father heard Jabotinsky in Europe. Many Jews left Europe because Jabotinsky said he saw anti-Semitism coming. Others didn't. Right? He told people to leave. In general, the Zionists were much stronger. Uh, I mean, that's, that's itself a, a, a conversation when we talk about agency than the religious community in, in, in Europe. All right. But look what he does here. He caricatures the Bible at the end. It's childish humanism, the Bible, biblical morality. The notion that we who were oppressed once should, should care. Why is it childish humanism? Because no one else in the world accepts this. It's not true, by the way. But in a cynical world, no one accepts that. Why should we be more righteous than anybody else? Now, not only, I mean, he said that, but the great poet of the, of the revisionist movement, Uri Tzvi Greenberg, says it more, more poignantly. If you look at the next page, look, uh, it, it's towards the bottom of the poem. I mean, you could read the whole poem, but the last section of it is very, one, two, three, four, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, li- ten lines on the bottom, ten lines on the bottom. It reads, your rabbis taught there is one truth for the nations, blood for blood, but it is not a truth for Jews. What's, it, what's he talking about? Where does it say blood for blood in the Torah? When you injure someone, you Right, what's the verse? Eye and tachadai, and an eye for an eye, an eye for an eye. So the rabbis said, what, is, what, is, what does an eye for an eye mean according to the rabbis? How do, you, how do you carry out that punishment? Monetary, Monetary compensation. So, the, so Greenberg writes, Your rabbis taught there is one truth for the nations, blood for blood, but it is not a truth for Jews. 
because we have a higher morality, right? We say monetary compensation. And I say, no, there is one truth and not two. As there is one sun, as there are two Jerusalems, why should we be different? It was, writ- uh, it was written in the law of conquest of Moses and Joshua until the last of my kings and my traitors have consumed, etc., etc. He, he, he goes on. This is Oritz Greenberg. I just went through Jenin. I don't know how many years ago they cleaned out Jenin. There were, Jenin was a hotbed of terrors. So the rumor was that there was a massacre in Jenin by the Israelis. Not only was that not true, but 23 Israeli soldiers died. Okay. Now, I'm the commander of that unit that lost 23 soldiers. That means I have to make 23 visits to the parents of those soldiers who were killed. Now, I knock on the door, and this is what I say. I'm so, hello, so, you know, and they know that something happened. I sit with them, and then I say, but you know, you should take some comfort in knowing the following. Your son died a hero. He died for the values of the Jewish people. Because the Jewish people wouldn't bomb the homes and kill innocents. Instead of bombing the home and kill innocents, your son died. Right? Right? Wrong. How can you say that? That's what Greenberg said. Who taught you this morality that you're supposed to be special? that you're supposed to sacrifice yourself and put yourself in harm's way because you don't want to kill innocents in the way in which you fight. Where did you learn that? Nobody else seems to know that. Why, how dare you require it of you? And that's, and I want to go further. It's arrogant on your part to be so moral. And you could see, people, yeah, yes, he's right. All right. Well, that's, that's the problem when you wield power. Right? But that's not, the, that's not the choice that the state of Israel made to follow, to follow what's his name. Instead, turn to page 7, page 7, top of the page. Yeah, yeah. Okay, right. Can someone read Beryl Katznelson? First of all, anyone know who Beryl Katznelson was? Beryl Katznelson was the ideologue of labor Zionism. He was Ben-Gurion's best friend. Best friend. And he came from a Lithuanian family, came from a rabbinic family. I have another essay in here about, uh, another piece by Katznelson about Jewish culture. I'll tell you about it in a moment. All right? So this is Katznelson. These are quotes from Katznelson from one of his speeches that he gave. Um, can someone read? Someone, why don't you read? Yes, please. Zionism derives its power from moral norms of combat, different from those common among the Arabs. The enemy does not respect the laws of war, and we are forbidden to emulate them. We are a people with a great culture whose basis is a regard for human life, and I doubt that having achieved such respect and appreciation for human life after 2,000 years of education, we ought to give them up. Deep down, Kars Nelson admitted, we are afraid of blood. This profound trait that has been preserved in us among the obstacles standing in our way. But if we want to get rid of this trait, we shall not readily be able to do so. And I also believe that if we do, we shall regret it later. Summing up his argument, he said, We stand up to those who attack us, but we do not want our weapons to be stained with innocent blood. 
Self-restraint is both a political and a moral approach, stemming from our history and our present reality, from our character and the conditions of the war in which we are engaged. If instead of being true to ourselves, we were to take a different approach, we would long since have lost the battle. So, this, by the way, this is, part, this is also part of the argument between Aharam and Herzl, because Herzl said Jewish state first, Judaism second. Aharam said renew Judaism first, then we renew the Jews. All right? So, so Aharam basically was saying, if you renew the state, make sure that the people living there know what it means to live in a Jewish state. So he wanted to educate an elite to, right? Whatever the, pro, so, so his chronology may have been off. But the point that he wanted to make, that's what Katz Nelson is saying. If we decided to emulate the, or, or to follow the ways, what's considered, and I'm not sure, by the way, that that's considered the way of the world, because now we live in a generation of human rights demands and a post-Holocaust generation. They were writing in the 30s. And, and, and what's his name? Uh, Greenberg was reacting to the Arab riots. And there, there, was, there was a very rich debate. And Katz Nelson says the only way we can sustain our Jewish identity, if we're going to have a Jewish state and remain Jews, is if we fight and that we manifest power with restraint. The principle of restraint in Hebrew is called Havlaga. Havlaga. And this doctrine of Katz Nelson's led to the development of what is the, the spirit of the IDF, which is called Toar Haneshek, the purity of arms. Now, people will laugh. There are people who laugh at this. That's what's on. It means a renewed commitment to the, to the value of Toar Haneshek and to human rights issues. It's wrong. You asked me about what it means, this new Zionism? The state of Israel shouldn't be the enemy of the human rights. So in a Jews, Jews shouldn't think that the way to support Israel is to oppose human rights groups. That doesn't mean that human rights groups don't unnecessarily criticize Israel. My, one of my best friends was a professor at the Hebrew University, was, was a representative to Amnesty International. He didn't think that everything Amnesty demanded was right, was right, but he understood that as a Jew, he had to be a member, he had to be struggling with, as a part of Amnesty International. How can we, with this tradition of ethics, see ourselves as opposing, in the name of our state, the values that are recognized by the world as being, uh, as, human, as being human rights values. When they abuse us, we should say they're abusive and you're, you're absolutely wrong, or maybe even anti-Semitic, or whatever you want to say. But it doesn't mean that we reject human rights in principle and reject those organizations. And I always say, you know, I, 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 I faced this, I don't know, you faced this dilemma. I, I continued rem- uh, my membership with the ACLU even when they defended the Nazis in Skokie. You remember that? You know, because I said, thank God we have an ACLU in this country. It gets, something, it gets a lot of things right and gets some things wrong. But, I, but they represent those values that I want to preserve because we have to always struggle for those values. That's what, I, that's what I'm talking about. Some of the renewal, by the way, means regaining uh, or, or, or reviving the conversation of the values of Zionism that were implicit and understood to be essential to, that we've lost in a cynical world that maybe has driven us in this day. All right, let me excuse us. I don't want to condemn. I don't want to indict the Jews. 
You know, they don't deserve, who am I to indict them? But I want to say that there's a lot of cynicism in the world, and it's hard to hold on to values. But that's what, what, what Katz Nelson says, is that's how the state of Israel was founded and grounded in those values. And not only that, at what I said earlier, if we can pull it off with some semblance of, 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 that it works in Israel, it's something that, that can, that has value for, for others. I mean, the struggle is for our survival, but it has meaning for others. Let me read you a paragraph here that, that I found in an essay by an academic that, that, that I thought to be excellent. He writes, Diasporism sees Jewish wrongs, genuine wrongs, and yearns to go back to a time when Jews didn't act that way. And it is true. Before there was a state of Israel, there was no occupation, no Gaza incursions, none of these problems. But that's growing up. We have a state. States do a lot of bad things. That's just a reality. And we, and we ought to say that. States, states operate in their self-interest. That's why you need a pushback of the Jewish values to, to, control, to be a control on those excesses that states normally engage, engage in. By being, just, by, 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 just by living, they do that. America does the same thing. No, et cetera, et cetera. We would never be responsible for promulgating unjust laws. You know, in Max Weber's terms, we would live a pure ethics of conviction with zero concern for the ethics of responsibility. There is no true responsibility in diaspora. Nothing really falls on our shoulders. Diasporism is at root the Jewish fear of Jewish power. It knows that powerful Jews have the potential to be bad Jews. In fact, it sees powerful Jews acting as bad Jews. And its solution, its tshuva, is to give up the trappings of power and return to the disempowered diaspora state, diaspora state of being. But as Maimonides observes, this is not repentance. The man who cuts off his tongue so that he cannot slander his neighbor has not repented. He has made true repentance impossible. Complete repentance must coexist with the opportunity, the strength, the power to commit the sin once again and the free choice not to. This is beautiful, very well done. To repent for the sins derived from Jewish power by abolishing that power is no repentance at all. It is a tacit belief that Jewish power will always unavoidably, inherently be sinful power. It is a, right, it's a condemnation of Judy, of, that Judaism isn't up to dealing with power. It means that all that we've claimed only worked because we didn't have the ability, right? It is a choice precisely to avoid the hard work of repentance, to avoid uncomfortable holiness uh, of having to be, to be contrite in our failures. I'm sorry, yeah, yeah. So, so let, me, let, let, let me broaden this and say the following, that the creation of the state of Israel and, and, and this new Zionism, as we, it's not so new, is an opportunity to enlarge the range of Jewish issues. When Hartman said, how do you rule over minority is a central religious problem, a less central religious problem is, how do you achieve economic justice in a country whose whose values are grounded in a tradition of tzedakah that teaches about sabbatical? I mean, what does that mean in a modern state of Israel? What does a sabbatical mean in a modern state of Israel? Does it mean the land lies fallow? All right. I mean, I don't know if that's it. I, it seems to me that they were, the, the, the issue of the land, you know, what happened when the land, what, what was the purpose of the land lying fallow? What? Revitalized. 
No, well, that's not what it says. That's how we understand it, because we, we have a scientific perspective that sees that as a necessary consequence, functional consequence. It says, because the land belongs to God. And what happened in the sabbatical year is it produced crops, but we didn't own them. So people could come and could claim the crops. Who, uh, anyone could come, including the, and the poor people could, could glean and could harvest. And we, couldn't, we didn't control the harvest. So what, we have to think, the state of Israel is an opportunity to think creatively about what a sabbatical could mean in a sovereign state. That wasn't, or that wasn't the Torah sabbatical. It's, right? How do you distribute, ju- how, do you, how do you create an enterprise of distributive justice where there are people who have a lot and people have a little? That should be a goal for a Jewish society. And when Jews get together, we should be working on that. That's what creating a state of Israel, which we can't, here we can, here we can do it as part of America and push it. There we can do it as Jews. Not, not, not a small matter. And the range of other social and economic issues become what, what I would call, it's the new Shulchan Aruch. It's not a Shulchan Aruch that says, when you get up in the morning, this is what you say, and this, is what, and this is how you do this, and it has to be five feet high. It's a much less precise Shulchan Aruch. It's a discussion about the values orientation based on what we learn from the tradition, how we apply, and, and we take also, you know, the, 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 as Ben-Gurion would have done. What are the ideas, what are the ideas, the best ideas now in the world today about how people can live with one another? We don't alienate ourselves from the thinkers in the world. We, in fact, invite the thinkers to contribute. We don't think of the world... I mean, but look what's happening in the Jewish world today. The disparaging nature of how Jews relate to, to the world of intellectuals. We used to value intellectuals in the Jewish community. We now think of intellectuals as the enemy. Because they're anti-Israel. We shouldn't be in a world. I mean, the, the, I, I, we shouldn't be in a world where, where, where intellectuals are our enemies. That doesn't mean I would want them to run the state, or any state for that matter. But they have something important to say that I need to hear. Especially Jewish intellectuals. I mean, Jew, Jew, Jews dominate in the intellectual world, and we have no relationship. We, we, we push them away. How could the Jewish community exist in alienation from the smartest Jews? I don't understand that. I don't know how that happens. The state of Israel should be a place that encourages the thought of this uh, and, and, and acts on the creative uh, 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 thinking. Now, last thing I want to say. I know that I've overstepped my, my time. Last thing is in the realm of, uh, of, of religion and state, what this, what, 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 what this would bring. I brought an example here today. This is, this is a sidur that's used in the port on Friday nights in Tel Aviv, where a thousand people come to Davin, who are not Orthodox. Now, I want to tell you two things about what's going on in Israel. I'll tell you about this, but I'll tell you about another another expression. In in Jerusalem, I'll get to Tel Aviv. Oh, well, let me tell you what's in here. And here is a sitter. All right, and on on this side of the page are traditional prayers. On this side of the page is modern Hebrew poetry. And to this service of a thousand Israelis, with kippot, without kippot, there are Israeli singers who come who've written music and poetry. This is a renewal of Judaism, but it's not denominational Judaism. 
It's Sidur Erev Shabbat for Beit Tefillah Yisraeli, an Israeli house of prayer. It's Israeli Judaism. Israeli Judaism is what I'm talking about, a renewal of Zionism. A different flavor. That's very different. It's liberal. It's inclusive. It's pluralistic. In Jerusalem, when they do this, they do it before candle lighting. This is done after candle lighting. They do it before candle lighting, and Orthodox Jews come to do Kabbalat Shabbat with non-Orthodox Jews, dance together, sing together, listen, and, and, and at the at the railroad station in, in, in Jerusalem at the Tachana. There are services now in kibbutzim more and more. It's not, and it's not just in the realm of services. It has to do with life cycle events. It has to do with the, the, the manner in which there is a renewal of Jewish music, of, of, of spiritual music. There's a renewal of spirituality. Now, it's small. I don't want to say that there's an earthquake going on. But there are, there, you see things budding, where on the one hand, you know, we worry about continuity. Their creativity based on Hebrew language, culture, remember there's language, tradition, has, has, has opened up the, po- the possibility for a, a, a substantial renewal. So it seems to me that there are, we, have, we have the wherewithal. I mean, it's, it's, it's a struggle. It's a struggle. What I want to say is the following. Israel is in a very difficult position politically. I don't know what the solution is. I haven't talked today at all about any political solution and what my ad- about Palestinians or anything like that. Right? It seems to me that that what what we can do, what we can do is we can keep the flame of Jewish values alive as a result of the fact that Israel is grounded in an ideology of Zionism that draws on those values, and we can. And we can draw them into the conversation so that hopefully they'll provide a framework in the future where indeed there will be, there could be a political settlement. Because no matter what the other side thinks, we need to be true to ourselves. That's what Kat Nelson was saying. They can behave the way they do. Greenberg, you're wrong. We don't have to behave like them in order to survive. We have the capacity to survive and sustain our particular way of being that's distinctive and remain as Jews. And in that way, we can be hopeful with a vision that it can be inclusive and incorporating not only of other Jews, but also of other peoples as well in the future. Thank you very much. Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklowitz. I hope you enjoyed listening to this fascinating lecture. At VBM, we strive to bring you only the best in Jewish educational programming. To do this, we host a wide variety of events throughout our learning season, including panels, classes, and lectures, like the one you've just listened to. Please consider going to www.valleybetemidrash.org and donating to Valley Beit Midrash to support the expansion of meaningful Jewish education. Thank you so much for listening.